All right, friendly people, quit being friendly. Go ahead and find your seats. We're in the, we're in the second week of, of this series. I know you all got really important things going on right now. We're in the second week of the series, The Vicious and the Virtuous, and um, man, I think, I think this is one of those topics as we look at it where, where God sorts us out a little bit and where he has something specific for us. So let's pray as, before we open the Bible up and, and let's pray that God speaks to our, our hearts, okay? So join me in this. Father, thanks for sending your word. Thanks that you still speak through it, Holy Spirit. We ask that you would move in our hearts, that you would move in our lives. Uh, you know, I, I'm convinced that you want to free some of us today. I'm convinced that there are things that we're holding on to that are not of you, that you never asked us to, that you are, are letting us let go of. And so I pray that I'm out of the way enough so you can speak, so that you can be clear. I pray that we would have courage to follow you. In your name, amen. amen. All right, the two questions for this series every, every single week are, what should I do and what type of person ought I become? These are questions that I can't answer for you. These are questions that your spouse can't answer or your best friend can't answer. These are questions that you must answer and wrestle with just you and God. What is it that I'm to do? Who is it? What type of person ought I become? And, and today... The little wrestling match we're looking at is envy versus courage. Envy versus courage. Now, every week, I'm going to let you know, you caught on last week. It's, this is four weeks, four times. You're going to hear us say two words, and you're going to be like, they don't fit. Every week, it's going to be like that. But I promise you, they fit next to each other. This vice of envy is the opposite of the virtue of courage. And I, let me show you how. Envy is, it goes like this. When you believe that there isn't enough, there's not enough for you, then envy is the discontent and the malice towards others' experience of God and his goodness. There's not enough for you. So envy says, I'm, I'm, I'm against that person's experience. I'm against God's goodness shown towards that person. This this book that we've used is, is by Carl Clifton Soderstrom, and he has this quote, Envy secretly acknowledges one's own inferiority in the face of the envied, an inferiority that leads such bitterness to malice. It's the idea of that I can't have the love, the joy, the peace, the patience. I can't have what God is offering. It's not for me. And so I'm just going to be against someone else's experience of it. Now, courage is believing that there is enough. Courage steps into God and his goodness. Courage steps towards the experience of God's character shown through somebody else. Courage walks into that and says, that love that you have, I believe there's enough love for me as well, so I'll walk towards you and discover it for myself. 
Now, every one of us is like, well, I, I'm courage. None of us really identify with envy because really, like, envy has a mascot, right? Here, here is who envy is. We have a photo here for you. That's envy, right? He can't have love and gifts. And he can't shave well either if you've seen the movie. And so he just goes about taking from everybody else. The only sick joy he has is destroying everybody else's experience of joy, of closeness, of happiness. The Grinch is our like mascot of envy. Now everyone in the room is like, well, I am definitely not envy. So when you open up Facebook on your phone or on your computer, what are you feeling? When somebody's like, hey, it's so crazy. I, uh, my work just gave me another month off and I'm making like homemade everything better than you can make at a bakery. How many of you are like, that's awesome. Or are you like, I hope you're lactose intolerant and don't know it. <laughs> right? Is it just me? No, thank you. There's one other honest person in the room. I don't know why we open ourselves up to this. We open it up and someone's like, oh, it's a really hard day. And like, about time you have a hard day because I've read your Facebook. It seems like every day is just perfect profile pictures. Every day for me is hard day. Now, we know we all lie on social media anyway, but you open that up. That's where we can tell. Are we living in envy or are we living in courage where we're really like, hey, for you, like, Man, I'm glad you encountered that. I believe that there's enough of God for both of us. I believe there's enough of God's kingdom for both of us. So we're going to unpack this for a little bit. I, I need some help real quick, though. Rochelle, you're going to hold this for me. Oh, I've got to give you something, too. Yeah, that's not going to happen. It hasn't happened in 38 years. You might need this. In case it drips, put the wax on him. Okay. You get to hold it too. I thought I did. All right, just hold on to that. Okay. Let's let's open up the Bible a little bit, okay? All right, go to uh, open up your Bibles to first Samuel ten seven, because I really think that we don't see ourselves as envious. We don't see it. So let's like look at envy take root in somebody's life. It's, it's this person, you've probably heard of them. Israel wanted a king, and so God chose this man named Saul. Now scripture says that Saul is the most handsome man in the land. And says that he is head and shoulders taller than everybody else. Like, it actually says that. So he's a tall, handsome dude. For whatever reason, that's who, who God chose. It's discouraging to me, but that's who God chose at first to work through. And at the time, Saul's dad had a bunch of donkeys. And Saul's job was to work for his dad. So when a donkey ran off, Saul ran off after the donkey. And so this tall, handsome man named Saul runs out after a donkey and he comes back a king. He goes after a donkey, comes back 
with a declaration that he is to be king. And if you imagine that your normal day is following donkeys around, you'd feel kind of inadequate if someone's like, hey, you're going to be the king, right? And that's just natural that you'd be like, I don't know. I'm apparently not even good at watching donkeys because they run away. So I don't know if I can do this whole king thing. But the prophet tells him in in verse 7 that God is with you. Now, this is before we know the Holy Spirit as we know the Holy Spirit. God comes and descends on individuals at this time. Now that Jesus has conquered death, the Holy Spirit lives within you, within me. Like God is with you. He is in you. We know this now, but at the time, it looked a little different. The Spirit just descended on some, and the prophet says to Saul, who's about to be king, he's like donkey Saul right now, but about to be king Saul, he says, hey, here's why you can do this. Here's why you're enough. God is with you. And then all of a sudden, the Spirit of God descends upon Saul, and miraculous things start to happen. Miraculous things in his life. And as he goes to leave the prophet, we see in in verse 9, when he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. So he is with him and gives him a brand new heart. Everything that was is gone, and now you're new. Now when Scripture's talking, I don't know that it was physically like he replaced it and like all the blockage from like saturated fats are gone. I don't think it's that kind of thing. He gives him a brand new entity Uh, He he is a new creation in this moment. Your creation is found in what the scriptures call your heart, right? He is brand new at this moment. He had an encounter that was real with the living God, and he left brand new, full of God's spirit. Anybody resonate with that? Thank you, Zoe. You keep talking. You're encouraging He has this powerful experience with God who will never leave him and has transformed him already. And then it's time for the entire nation to find out. So they gather the nation together and they go to find where this new king is, this king that the nation's been waiting for. And in verse 22, it says, they inquire again to the Lord, is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. Then they ran and took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to the people, do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And the people probably thought, you're right, there's none like him. But they shout, long live the king. The king of God's chosen people is hiding in the luggage He's filled with God's spirit. He is brand new as a person, and yet he can only see himself as the one who lost his dad's donkey, so he's hiding in the luggage. And he's a really big guy. I don't think they have luggage like that big. He's hiding among, like, the suitcases. Now if it was at an airport, he'd be, like, just going around. And they have to, like, dig him out. Oh, there he is. There's our king. That scared one right there. So Saul goes on. He tries to fight some battles. He tries to cut some corners. He gets scared that the Philistines are going to beat them. So he, he cheats a little bit and doesn't trust God and all of this kind of stuff. And he's trying to be a king, but he's certain that he belongs with the donkeys. And then this moment comes up that we need to see. And 
In chapter 15, verse 17, Samuel the prophet comes to him and says, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. He says, you are king. You have been anointed king. And you still see yourself as this tiny little donkey follower. Are you still little? Are you still that guy? All this time has passed. God has been faithful. He's been faithful. He's been with you. He's transformed you. And you're still that other guy. Why do you still see yourself like that? And then this terrifying thing happens. God pulls his spirit. He says, I've called you king. You say you're still the same guy. I guess, I guess you're that same guy. That scares me. I remember reading this verse before we moved to Louisville. I read it again before we started this church. This is one of the most terrifying, alarming scriptures to me in the world because I, like, live in the land of the inadequate. And I thought insecurity was, like, a cool thing before. I thought it made me relatable. No, it makes me really sinful. It makes me prone to envy. It makes me miss out on the kingdom of God. I am too little in my own eyes, too often, praise God, he has not lifted his spirit from me. But it's about time that you and I see ourselves as daughters and sons of the King Most High. Because that's who he says we are. And at the end of the day, who he says I am is a whole lot more important than who I say I am. Some of us have spent the week in the luggage. You've spent your week there. You've hidden. To pass the time, you're on Facebook. You're doing other things, checking out how other people are living. But you don't want anyone to see that you are the daughter of the God Most High, that you are the son who is made in his image. You don't want people to see that, so you just hide. He's going to find you. Because he does not relent. That's part of what we love about our father. But when he finds you, what's he going to say? Is he going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant? Or is he going to say, hey, you're too little in your own eyes still. Get up from that baggage that you hide in. Shed that baggage and walk towards me. So what's Saul do from here? What's he do from here? Well, there's this, this Philistine. We're still fighting the Philistines. Read through this whole section. We just keep fighting the same enemy, this Philistine comes up named Goliath, who's a threat to Israel, an insult to God, and, and the king, he just stays inside, because though he's head and shoulders taller than everybody else, well, this, this Goliath is pretty, he's pretty tall, he's pretty big, and he's hurling insults at the God of the Israelites, and then another shepherd boy comes along, someone else who is prone to follow animals of his fathers that get lost. In chapter 17, verse 37, it says, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of a lion and the paw of a bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put on a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword of his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot go with these. I've not tested them. So David put them off. And he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. He, his sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. Saul is still too little in his own eyes. 
and he's hiding in the king's armor. He's not fitting in it. He's hiding in it. And when he meets somebody who can conquer a giant, he's sure that there's no way that David believes that he's big enough to do this, so you got to pretend and play dress up like it's Halloween. And put this on, because this is what a king looks like. And David, I am convinced, walks forward. And he's like, no, I'm, in, I'm on my God's side, and so I'll come as is. I'm enough as is. He taught me how to sling a sling. I'm going with a sling. What's that look like for you? He, he raised me where he raised me. That's what I've got. My education, that's what I've got. My background, that's what I've got. My family story, my sin, my everything. That's what I've got. That's the stones that I've got. But no giant is a threat to me or my God because my God says I am who I am filled with his spirit and I am I'm going where he leads me. You don't need swords that don't fit and helmets that don't fit and clothes that don't fit. You don't need that. You need confidence and courage in the Lord. And that's it. And we see Saul is still hiding. All of a sudden, he's envious of David. Verse 3, Jonathan, Saul's son, made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even the sword and his bow and his belt. And David went on and was successful wherever Saul sent him. Saul sent him to the front lines to die. And David came back in victory. So Saul set him over the men of war, and this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants as they were coming home when David returned from striking down the Philistine. The women came out of the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, with the musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Man, you made the song. That's what I'd want to say to Saul. Hey, you made the song. He might have struck down more, but it doesn't sound like you've done much. Like, be happy you made the song here. But his eyes are not on the Philistines. His eyes are not on the victories that God has given him or the victories that God has given his people. His eyes are on David. And David is getting more songs than he is. And David is getting more attention than he is. And David is married to his daughter and best friends with his son. And all of a sudden, Saul is wishing ill on his daughter and his own son because of this envy towards David. As we go on, so Saul removed David from his presence and made him a commander of thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when, he saw, and when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, and he went out and came in before them. Saul raised up David. And David succeeded for the nation that Saul was king over, right? And all the people loved David. And that just made Saul envy him more. You read through the rest of 1 Samuel, and the Philistines and the Israelites are fighting over and over, and David is hiding in caves because he made a vow that he would not kill Saul. Twice he came too close and repented. But he is hiding in caves, and all of Israel is against their enemy of the Philistines, and Saul is against his enemy, David. 
And I think the only joy that Saul had at the moment was that David was in the caves. His only joy was that David was having no joy. And then the great first king of Israel ends like this. The battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found him, and he was badly wounded by the archers. And Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword, thrust it through me, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But his armor bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Therefore Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. When his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his sword and died with him. The Saul died and his three sons, his armor bearer, and all his men on the same day together. And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those beyond the Jordan saw the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their cities and fled. And the Philistines came and lived in them. It's not really a happy story. Saul dies alone. Everything that he had fought for was, was gone. Everything that he had lived for was gone. You see, the thing about envy is it's more than jealous. It's more than being jealous of someone seeing God at work with them, and then you're like, oh, I'm a little jealous. Envy is not believing there's enough for you and working towards that person experiencing the misery, the pain that you have. Instead of sharing in the joy, in the love, in the peace that you see someone else having, instead of going towards that, you're saying, no, I'm living in misery and pain, and I want them to come live where I am. That, can, can our candle bearers come up here for a second? Great job holding a candle for a long time. So here's kind of what it's like. En envy is kind of like this. I'm going to grab mine. Envy is looking and being like, man, Rochelle got to, she got to hold a candle. I didn't get to hold a candle. She's much cooler than me. And I, I don't know what it's like holding that candle. I don't know what it's like being Rochelle, but, but she can preach and all of it. And she, she obviously has joy and all of that. And I want all that, but you know, that's what I really want. That's envy. Envy is I see that light in you, and I want it to go away. Now, courage. Courage says, my friend Kathy, I, I don't know all that she's gone through, but she got to hold the candle. She must be cool. And every week, there's so much love that comes out of her. And, and every now and then, she talks about where she's trusting God. And like, I don't know what that is, and it seems like maybe it's a little easy for her, but maybe not. And maybe, just maybe, there's enough for me. Maybe, just maybe, I can live there too. Maybe I can have that love, that courage, that joy. Maybe, maybe she can teach me how to get there if need be. Thank you. Good job. Clap for our friends. Courage is belief that I am with you. It moves from theory to practice. A friend of mine, Stephanie, sent me this verse this week. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is the tree of life. And this hope deferred, this, this 
oh, there's not enough for me. It just makes us go sniff out each other's flame. It just says, nah, I don't want any of us to have it if I can't have it. But maybe this is to be a church of courage. So where does this matter? It matters right here. It matters when we come to the table. Because this is a statement of courage. Read this, this verse with me in Colossians 3. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in your sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming, and these you too once walked when you're living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and the obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. There is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Envy says that you believe you're not enough. And that list that we just read, that list of who you were, is all that you are. And so week after week in envy, you come to the table and you bump elbows with other people who've got a better glimpse of this life than you do. And so to you, it's just a tiny bit of juice and it's a tiny bit of bread. And the juice probably ain't good enough and the bread's not your favorite. But you just come to the table and other people have what you wish you had. And so instead of doing anything about it, you just, we just sink back into your baggage and your luggage. But courage in light of this verse. Courage is to believe that what you do doesn't define you. That being new defines you. And you come to the table knowing that there is room. And even if it looks like all the chairs are filled, you know your father and you know his intent and you know he would have a chair for you. And so every week when you come to the table, you're well aware of the moments where you tripped on your own baggage, but you're well aware that he is bigger than that and his spirit is upon you and your heart is new. And though you're kind of stumbling, it does not matter. And so you come to the table and you grab yourself a hunk and you take a cup of that juice and you say, here, here. This is the blood of my Jesus shed for me. And this is his body, which he saw me enough to give up his life. And because of that, I have courage enough to live my own. And you come next to each other and experience the forgiveness and healing and peace, maybe for the first time or maybe again, because God is that good. There is enough for you. If you're feeling envy, if you live in envy, it can become our identity. It beca- we can become the envious and never experience the fullness of the kingdom of God. And if that's you today, I pray that you'll have courage. We're going to have a minister over here. We're going to have a minister. I don't know who they are, but they know who they are. They're going to come and pray with you. They're going to be in those two spots. Have courage today. Don't leave here like, well, I'm going to think about it. And you know, my, my baggage is pretty big. Don't do that. Your baggage is not bigger than my God. It's not. 
And when you see the kingdom of God at work in the person next to you, just snuggle closer and ask that you might experience the same. When it comes to courage and envy, what will you do? And who do you want to become? Let's pray. Jesus, the price is paid. The table's set. The work is done. And your spirit is willing and able. And I pray that we would have courage to make all this theory practice. And we would live as your daughters and your sons. Amen. Welcome you to his table.